still. So Genesis chapter 24. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house. And to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my clan and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had, been, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, 
Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, let us ask God to bless his word read. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of your words and pray that we may be Christians reading your word, that we may be those who by the Spirit see the truth, but we see the truth in not only what it says, but where it leads. And may we be led to Christ, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If I were to ask you what your second favorite sports team or second favorite book or your second best friend, it would be a little bit jarring because we're so used to saying my favorite team, my favorite book, my favorite movie, my best friend, and so on. So when you are asked, what is your second favorite love story in the Bible, uh, you might have to go, well, what would be the first, and then work your way down. The first begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. That's the clue. And if you're any sort of theologian sitting here, and indeed you are, you are either a good one or a bad one, but you're a theologian you have to accept that the great love story of the Scriptures is between Christ and His bride. But after that, you get to then pick. Uh, You have a choice after that. And my choice is Genesis chapter 24. I once heard a sermon by a pastor on this uh, when I was younger. It was on a tape cassette. And it was a very good sermon as far as I remember it. The only sad part is later on in his ministry, rather tragically, a lot of the things he talked about in the sermon that were so profound had been undone by his own life. Now, there's a lot of details in this narrative. It's the longest narrative in Genesis of a story. And you have to wonder, why are there so many details when other places you wish there were some details there aren't? Here... You not only get the story, but you get a retelling of the story, and you have to ask, why is that? You also have to deal with the fact that we are going back many thousands of years to a time and day when uh, courtship, marriage, dating, whatever you want to call it, looked very different from what we normally do today. 
And so there are going to be principles here, not every detail to be replicated in your life, but basic principles. And we're going to try and find out what those principles may be. But in this story, you have some characters, and there's lots of characters, but you have a character like Isaac. Now, if there was a school play and you were being asked to take a part in the school play, who would want to be Isaac in this story? Well, I will tell you who would want to be Isaac. Someone who is a very bad actor but has to be in the school play. So when they're dividing up all the parts and they say, who wants to be Isaac? You might be duped if you think, hey, I'm a I'm a bit of an actor. I, I think I've got uh, all of the prerequisites to be Isaac. Uh, you would have a very, very limited role. Uh, I would basically look at someone who could stand up straight, maybe even you know, bend over and pray and, and say, okay, you're Isaac. Because the servant is actually the main character in the story. And the servant comes across as a faithful man of God, who is concerned firstly for God, then he is concerned for his master Abraham, and then he is concerned for himself, but he is constantly praising God for his faithfulness and kindness, especially to Abraham. And so the servant is actually a beautiful picture of Christ who goes into the far country to fetch a bride. And he is really the star of the story in many respects. There is also Rebecca. Rebecca is now replacing Sarah as the matriarch of God's people. And I think that is why there are so many important details that are offered that we'll see in the text. Why does the narrator tell us this? Why does the narrator tell us that? Because Rebecca is replacing Sarah. That much is obvious. There's the angel who also goes with the servant. There are other characters such as Laban and so on, but there is also Abraham. And Abraham has a sort of dying wish. And you see, this is something important to notice about parents. Uh, and if you're young, you will know that your parents never get to stop worrying about you. That's not something where... Uh, oh, good, Katie's going into grade 12. She's going to probably pass and graduate. And, you know, then I can put my feet up and say, well done, good and faithful father. You have established a good and faithful daughter. No need to worry anymore. What parent here after grade 12 stopped worrying about their kids? Come on, stand up. Sir, no one. And if you did, I would come and forcibly sit you down. <laughs> You, you, you start to worry even more in many respects. And Abraham's a father who is worried about his son. He doesn't want his son to marry a Canaanite. These are very, very bad people. So he asks his servant to go roughly 900 kilometers away to find a wife for his son. Now, before you start getting all snooty about ancient practices of how people found wives and husbands and got married, can I just say one point? Are we really in any position in the 21st century to be snooty about dating in the ancient world? Have we figured it out? We probably need to reevaluate a lot of things, including the manner of just how about we go about finding spouses 
the nature of how many people delay marriage now unnecessarily when they could, the nature of how many people shack up and live together before. We're in no position to be snooty towards these ancient people. I don't think. So what can we learn? Well, Isaac needs a wife. Abraham is concerned. And Abraham trusts God, but he's going to act through his servant who he trusts. And so a solemn oath is taken. He says, put your hand under my thigh. This basically means he had to touch his genitals. And there's a very important reason for this. Because that illustrates that the promises to Abraham, many offspring, all nations will be blessed, that the oath takes place where his offspring is going to be continued through Isaac and then later through Jacob and later then through the ends of the earth. And so a solemn oath is taken that he will accomplish the wishes of Abraham. And so, as you get to about verses 10 to 14, the servant goes on what is called a, I would call a journey of faith. And he goes to Mesopotamia, which is between two rivers, and uh, takes about 21 days of travel, and shows faith in God's providence. In fact, he is the first person to ask for divine guidance in Genesis. And notice he doesn't request a miracle. His request is not that an angel uh, would come down on a chariot and there would be the bride. That would be the one. He doesn't do that. His request is in the providence of God, but in certain respects, it's in a very ordinary providence. He's looking for a woman who is kind, who is helpful, and who seeks to be just that. And he also knows that his success and his request that he offers up to the Lord is based upon God's love for Abraham. So here's a first point of application. If your child finds a good spouse, that is God's love to you, not just your child. I'm not saying that God doesn't love you if your child finds a bad spouse, for those who are about to rush the stage. I am saying, however, that God's love to us can be often manifested in some very powerful ways, and that can be when your child finds someone who is a godly person. And so there is a specific request who is going to ask to draw water for the camels? And lo and behold, as soon as he's finished making the request, here comes forth Rebecca. Now, it's a remarkable answer to prayer in so many ways, and the servant blesses God for the answered prayer. But notice in verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. And the word for young woman is typically the word for virgin. If you were a young woman, you were called a virgin. Now, Why then do we see, after the word appearance, a maiden whom no man had known? He's not just talking about the fact that she's a young woman that makes her a virgin. He's talking also about the sexuality of the woman, saying she has not known a man. Now, why is that detail important? Well, we could talk about its importance on a purely psychological level, how important it is for two people to wait until marriage 
to give themselves to one another. But also, in terms of procreation, we need to be sure that the promises made to Abraham and Isaac, that Isaac is the father of the child that Rebekah will give birth to. So that detail is there so that you may be assured that Isaac will be the father if and when Rebekah is pregnant. And that is why those details are offered about Abraham going into Egypt and God intervening before Sarah could be taken by Pharaoh because you need to know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the fathers of the people of God. So there's an answer to this prayer. And you will also notice there is a bonus because not only is she godly and kind, she is beautiful. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. Uh, I don't know fully. I think I have some clues as to why this is often brought up. But the scriptures do seem to go out of their ways at times to talk about beautiful people. Not so much the other way. It does happen. Leah had weak eyes. She'll come into the... We don't know what that exactly means, but she had weak eyes. But then a lot of times, it's even sometimes men, sometimes women. You read Psalm 45. You learn about Sarah, Rebecca, David. Um, God sometimes draws attention to beauty. And I have no doubt that if Rebecca were here today, we would all say she is beautiful. I do not buy for one minute the idea that, well, in that culture and custom, she may be beautiful then, but we may not think of her beautiful now. Nonsense. She was beautiful. There is some objectivity to beauty. And she was a beautiful person. Now, that's looking good for Isaac, though he knows nothing of what is taking place. And a lot of times, before we do get married, a thousand things are happening without us even being aware that they are happening. Now she's hospitable. She's generous. She's attractive. She's hardworking. The amount of work to give those camels water could have taken an exceeding amount of time. Camels, of all the animals, if you're going to try to get out of it easy, you probably don't pick a camel. You pick a budgie, a mouse. But these camels can drink, and so she's working hard. And God's answering the prayers of the servant. But then after this answer to prayer, it's time to meet the family. Ah, meeting the family. Who will ever forget the first time they laid eyes on their mother-in-law without knowing it would be their mother-in-law? I actually remember where I was on the staircase, how the door opened, what happened when Barb's mom came in, probably the 17 different emotions I had going on in my heart and probably what I thought was going on in her heart. And we weren't married at that time. We were just actually, Barb's got this new boyfriend from university and he's a Christian, but not a Catholic. And the door swings open and there's my mother-in-law. But I didn't know it. And she sure didn't know it. Oh, these things, they come and go. You know, young people... Little did she know, little did I know. 
The only other image I vividly remember was on the wedding day, and I thought she might die just on the spot. But God preserved us all. So, you meet the family. And I want to tell you something very interesting that I think is in the text. If you want to know something about what your spouse is going to be like, but your spouse is on, your spouse to be is on such good behavior in the courtship, dating, whatever phase it is, that you can't really see any problems with them, just look at the parents. So, we have an amazing ability for a period of time to behave ourselves. And time will take care of that. It always does. And hopefully in your relationship, the person you're going to be with misbehaves at some point. Just so you can figure out a few things about how they respond to things like sin and not getting their own way and all that. It usually happens definitely on the wedding day. But that's usually covered up by all of the bridesmaids protecting the bride from going too crazy. But if you really want to know what someone's going to be like, you can actually learn a lot from their family. And so the servant goes and meets Laban. Now Laban sees the servant and understands something about Laban. Laban was savvy, cunning. He knew how to get things. And I have no doubt that Laban sees the servant, knows that he's wealthy, and so, oh yes, come into my home. Yes, let me wash your feet. Let me take care of you. Because Laban's ultimately looking out for himself, and the servant gives silver and gold to Rebekah. He gives a bride price. He takes care of these people. And that's why I think Laban says, why don't you stay for another 10 days? Laban didn't care about Rebekah having another 10 days. He wanted to get more out of the servant. Now, the servant understands this and says, no, I need to go. But when the servant was there speaking about Rebekah, one of the heartwarming things about the story is that the report that the servant gives about Rebekah is a good report. When he speaks to Laban and to Rebekah's mom, he says, She did this. She did that. It was a good report. And is that not one of the great things about being a parent when you get a good report about your child? How many times when a teacher or someone says, I need to speak to you about your child, and your first thought is, oh no, what has he done now? I walked into school the other day and trying to meet teachers and get a quick insight into what was happening before it was public and, you know, throwing my weight around as the soccer coach at school to try and get benefits and all of that. And a teacher just comes up and I says, oh, do you know this young man? She says, oh, everybody knows this young man. Whether or not it was Matthew or not, I won't confirm. But I kind of thought, uh-oh. And she says, Matthew worked very hard on his math. I'm very proud of him. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord because it could have been anything. (laughs) Rebecca, the report is given a positive report. Now, children, can I just plead with you to give your parents something nice to hear once in a while? Something. Not the bad reports. The good reports. You'll see that in verse 46. But there's also something else that's very important about a relationship. You'll see this in verse 50. Notice what is said. 
Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. At the end of the day, if you want to have success in terms of the family, you need to get them to the point where they say, This is from the Lord. Not, Ah, and what does he do for work? And then you go, No, 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 that's not going to fly in this family. I said a surgeon, not a doctor. This is how people act and think. You would be surprised. Parents want all sorts of uh, conditions. But can you say, most importantly, this is from the Lord? This is from the Lord. Because the Lord's hands are over this. The Lord's hands are sketched all over how things happen. This is from the Lord. You need to get to that point where you have a clear conscience before God, not only the persons involved in the relationship, but hopefully by God's grace the parents, so they can say, this is from the Lord. Because that will relieve a great deal of anxiety for everyone. And I think... Children do need to sympathize a little bit with their parents that they do go through anxiety when it comes to their kids and relationships because they know a few things. They see a few things. And sorry if they've got a few questions. But can they say this is from the Lord? And I think if you're young and you want to convince your parents, maybe you should start and come to them and say, this is from the Lord. Don't say, oh, he's a nice guy. Who isn't a nice guy? Who has ever brought someone and says, he's not a very nice guy, but I'm going to marry him? Don't do that. Don't say he's a nice guy. Don't say she's a nice girl. Say, this is from the Lord. But it better be from the Lord, by the way. This is from the Lord. And so she's pledged to Isaac, her brother and father have a say. Um, they give permission, but then they kind of do a 180 and be, they say, well, you need to ask Rebecca now. And so the tension builds because the servant thought that the answer was yes. And you wonder how many times that's happened in a relationship where you think the answer is yes, but then some tension builds and then you kind of have to wait and she does actually say, yes, I will go with this man. And so she goes with the servant to a far away country, leaving behind her family, and says in verse 58, I will go. But then we get to the actual marriage in verses 62 to 67, and I think if you're going to describe the most perfect way to meet your future spouse, what would be some of the things you'd want to see them doing upon first seeing them? It would be like walking into Faith Church and there's a prayer meeting happening in a circle and you walk in and there's a young man leading a prayer. That's about as good as it would get, right? And you could probably work your way down considerably low uh, on everything else about what you would first see with someone. But prayer or worshiping the Lord, that is as good as it gets. And she sees him meditating. And as he opens his eyes, there his future wife is brought to him. And I think this is one of the greatest statements of love found anywhere in God's word. Verse 67. 
the last verse in this narrative. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And it could have ended just there. The marriage was consummated, but it didn't. And he loved her. Now remember, when the servant went to visit Laban, as I said, you can learn a lot about your future spouse based upon what the family are like. What was Laban like? He was a bit of a trickster. Knew how to get his way. He loved her, but that didn't exclude them from problems later on in their marriage. And what does Rebecca do? She actually gets involved in a bit of Labanism. <laughs> Starts concocting and tricking and getting the birthrights to Jacob and not Esau. She was actually quite a bit like Laban, even though she was a godly person. She brought some of those family characteristics still into the marriage, and there was a bit of a breakdown in that marriage. But he loved her, and we're told that. For whatever else you may say about Isaac, and there's actually not a whole lot that's said about Isaac in Genesis. It's basically, Isaac is the ordinary son of an extraordinary father, and the ordinary father of an extraordinary son, Jacob. But at least this is said about him. He loved her. So whatever you can say about a husband sitting here, can you say, and he loved her? That's the question. And that will cover a multitude of issues and problems. Trust me. But if you remove, and he loved her, you can make it up with yachts. You can make it up with holidays. You can make it up with homes. You can make it up with all sorts of things. It will not matter. But if you love your wife, it will cover a multitude of sins. And he loved her. And so you can say, is this a romantic story or not? And the answer is, God is present in this story. Seventeen times in this narrative we read of God. But there's also matters like the importance of prayer, in this relationship, the importance of God's providence and seeing God's hand upon things. And does it have to look like this? No. I was saying after the service I preached, I said, listen, this is great. This story is wonderful. My courtship and relationship with Barbara was a train wreck of epic proportions. And God was merciful, and God was gracious, and God was kind, despite my sin and Barb's sin and our folly and our stupidities. And yes, God can be gracious and has been, even to some of you whose stories I know, He has been. That doesn't mean you need to go down the path where you need to say, yes, God delivered us from a thousand evils. There is something very beautiful about knowing that your wife and your husband is giving themselves to you for the first time. There's something about that that culture today knows nothing about, jokes about, mocks and ridicules, and it takes every ounce of strength in our DNA by the grace of God to keep ourselves for that person. But can God forgive and can God be merciful? Yes, but don't Go into that path if you don't have to. 
You also have to understand, Rebecca knows the servant is rich, and there's something very also important about that. She knows he's rich, but she knew he was rich after she had proved herself to be a godly person, at least a kind person. And it's, it's hard for a rich person to find a spouse. Better to find someone when you're poor, when you're young. That's what I did. Barb had a car at university, and not many people had cars at the university back then. Oh, yeah, that was great. I used to drive her car around, and I hated walking. I didn't bring much to the relationship. But at least I knew she must love me then. I obviously have just exposed myself for wanting the car, but the point was, she knew the servant was rich. And it reminded me of 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That we see the riches that Christ possesses, that we see the glories, we see all that has been given to Christ, everything, and we say, I want that. I want His riches. And I want His riches by Him becoming poor so that we may become rich. She knew the servant was rich. And she also provides a wonderful picture of the gospel, but also in a way that doesn't really make sense initially. Because when Isaac receives his wife, he receives his wife who comes to him a beautiful virgin. But how utterly unlike the father sending Christ into the far country not to find a Rebecca but to find the antithesis of a Rebecca. To find those of us sinful, polluted, vile, contemptuous, nothing pure about us. We are, as it were, spiritual whores and Christ comes and the Father says, this is going to be your bride. And He takes us into His tent, so to speak, into His kingdom and makes us beautiful, and washes us, and cleanses us, so that yes, if you've made mistakes in your relationships, before you even get married, He can wash you of your sin. He can cleanse you of your sin. And if you are in a relationship, and you're married, and you've made mistakes, and you've sinned, He can still wash you of your sin, and still make you to be beautiful, because that's the gospel. Not finding a million Rebecca's, but actually finding you and me in our sin, and making us to be a Rebecca, making us to be pure, making us to be a bride, spotless and without blemish, because the one who was rich became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Christ, who did not receive a bride that we would think he deserves but received a bride that he could say, and he loved her. And so we thank you that whatever love Christ, whatever love Isaac had for Rebecca, 
pales in comparison to the love that Christ has for us. We pray that we may take this to heart. For Jesus' sake, amen.